Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did. 97.1 FM Talk Podcast. Good weekend uh, to you. Hope everybody's having a great day and welcome into Second Amendment Radio, the great outdoors. We got a lot to get to today. We do. Bo Matthews in here along with me and uh, Carl Middleman. Pew, pew. <laughs> Happy Thanksgiving, everyone. Yeah, no kidding. I will. Uh, we're we're going to talk to somebody, to two people today who had success uh, deer hunting. I will not be one of them, and, and I'm definitely not one of them either. We had to get these people on the phone from wherever they were. Uh, so looking forward to it. I always hear, you know, deer hunting stories are kind of like fish stories. There's a lot of similarities. There's maybe a little bit more truth in a deer story, but we'll find out. Well, you got to have proof at the end of the day with the deer because you got to have a picture with it, right? Yeah, but there's those ones that got away. <laughs> oh, I see. You know. Yeah, but you don't want to admit that because that means you missed. <laughs> yeah, that, I'm just saying. Do you that. want to say who these people are? Well, you know both of them uh, pretty well. Uh, one of them is a Major League Baseball star for the St. Louis Cardinals, Oh, Adam Wainwright. And a good guy with a good heart. Yeah, no kidding. No kidding. He really is. We were supposed to talk to him earlier, but... He was doing something for He's his church. Delayed, right? So we're going we're to get to Adam here coming up uh, before too long. And then uh, the uh, I, I've determined that the 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 name Mark, if it if it's spelled with a C, is apparently an old Indian word for bad hunter because my name is spelled with a C, <laughs> and I didn't get a deer this year. But uh, Mark Reardon, who spells his name with a K, did have success. And if you listen to his show on ninety seven one, you all know Mark. Uh, he he did well this and, year. And like a good fish story, I think he's saying to everybody that he got the thirty pointer. We don't know. Yeah. <laughs> is there one out there? Yeah, we'll uh, we're we're going to get to that uh, here coming up shortly. All right, uh, so uh, we I came across this story, and I sent it to you guys, and lo and behold, uh, Carl, our, Carl, Carl with a C, now yes. there's Carl with a C and Carl with a K, yeah. um, Carl with a C means great producer, Thank you. because he tracked down uh, the, uh, the author of this study, a new Rutgers study has found that people who bought firearms during the COVID-19 pandemic and national surge in firearm sales tend to be more sensitive to threats and have less emotional and impulse control. So uh, we wanted you. I just said, hey, let's talk about this. You did one step better. I found the guy who wrote you, it. You found the guy. So uh, let's welcome into the conversation. Um, he is uh, the Na- uh, New Jersey Gun Violence Research Center. Michael Dionestas, welcome to the program. Thanks for having me. So what, what brought the idea of doing this study up that you wanted to go yeah. after? Sure. So we've been doing a decent amount of work lately, uh, our crew, just trying to better understand this you know, firearm purchasing surge and are the folks who are driving the surge sort of different in any way than typical firearm owners or non-firearm owners, just because you know, it's pretty important to know when you see a big trend in something. And a big sort of glaring hole in the research on firearms in general is just kind of understanding who people are 
um, beyond their demographics and how that influences. So we know, you know, men are more likely to purchase firearms than women. We know folks who live in more rural environments are more likely than folks who live in more urban environments, right? But we don't know much about who someone is sort of characterologically. And that can be important because that can tell you about all sorts of other things that they do in their life. And that can inform us in terms of how to keep people safe. So we were trying to take a first step, a preliminary step to understand based on some data we have, are these folks different in any meaningful way that would be informative? Okay. I, I, let me jump in here, Michael. Uh, Michael Anestis, our guest, uh, on this study. Um, that You surveyed 3,500 adults in the United States. The first thing that stood out to me was they, for whatever reason, they bought a firearm, maybe the, for the first time last year, uh, but they are law-abiding gun owners, yes? Yeah, yeah. So this is not um, a study about criminality. This is not a study about illicit firearm access, which is a super important question, right? But not something that's easy to get at. That's something we're working on in another project. But yeah, this would be folks, presumably, who purchased their firearms sort of legally. I don't know about their criminal record in general, but they weren't recruited on the basis of some sort of crime related or unrelated to firearms. Okay. Yeah. So, so what uh, what were the initial findings here that that somehow people are? are I, I have to tell you, you know where I'm coming from on this. I'm a, I'm pro Second Amendment guy. When I read yeah. the headline, I'm thinking, well, it sounds to me like they're saying the people that ran out and bought firearms are just paranoid and they're and they're you know they live in fear all the time. What's your perception of of your conclusion here? Yeah, sure. So definitely not that. Um, I, you know, I do think we've got some pretty compelling, you know, and understandable. Yeah. So we're, the goal isn't isn't to label folks or anything like that. And in fact, you can take our findings and say we're labeling non-firearm owners um, just the same way, right? Like that's that's not the idea. The idea isn't to look at the extremes and say, well, if you score higher on this, that means you're paranoid, or that any decision you make is unrelated to actual threats. Not at all. So what these variables mean, and the the, the trick with these sort of personality variables is that they. They use a lot of jargon, and it's hard to explain them in one sentence. And so it ends up feeling very convoluted, right? So the, the most straightforward way I can say it is that the folks who were purchasing during this surge were different than most firearm owners, and not everybody who purchased during the surge. On average, the people who purchased during the surge were different than other firearm owners and folks who don't own firearms at all on the basis that when you ask them about their sort of how they respond to how they respond to emotions and threats, they tend to be more likely to make sort of quick decisions in response to negative emotions. And they tend to, to, to see or to be more reactive when they feel stress. So it's not necessarily that they feel stress more often, but when they feel it, that's a bigger deal to them. So they're, they're perceiving the world when they perceive the world as threatful, that's going to cause a bigger reaction from them. And they have a tendency to not have the brake pedal as much as other folks. Now, again, that doesn't mean that's how everybody is. And another important point to keep in mind is the effects were not huge, right? So significant doesn't mean massive. So the idea isn't that all folks who purchased during the surge are, are paranoid folks who made an irrational decision and it's a huge difference. No, it's just saying that you can see a difference in how folks respond to stress. And you're seeing it more here. And it's different than what you usually see in fire motors. And here's why that's a big deal. And I know it's a rambling answer and I apologize, but we put out another study a couple of weeks ago. And, and this is the second time we found this, is that the folks who purchased during this firearm surge, and in this other data, we actually could say, particularly folks who purchased their first ever firearm, were more likely than other gun owners and more likely than non-gun owners to have had suicidal thoughts. And so what we're finding is that this, these are unprecedented times the last 18 months. And we also saw unprecedented sales in firearms, and that there's some evidence that the folks who are making up that population of folks who've been purchasing firearms during the last year and a half, they're a little different than usual. 
And that's just important to keep in mind, because if you do have a group of new firearm owners who are a little bit more reactive to stress, who do have more of a history of having suicidal thoughts, and they're new firearm owners, then, man, do we need to talk to them about how to be safe with a firearm? Well, Otherwise, there's just too much risk. And and hopefully we are, Michael. And what I would say there is that, you know, for some real life uh, experience in this, I've got, I've got a, a local gun range here who's, who's a sponsor on my show, the Range St. Louis West. I talk to those guys all the time. They told me that probably 40%, now they had a record year last year, like many gun stores, probably mm-hmm. 40% of their buyers were new gun owners. People who, who I don't know if, if it's, it's that they had less emotional or impulse control, but people who for some reason... Uh, maybe they watched the riots in the streets in Portland or wherever it was around around the country in the last year and a half, felt that they needed to do something to, to take a measure of protection for themselves. Yeah. I mean, did, did you find anything? I mean, did anything in there? Did, were there questions specific to that? That's not so much lack of, of um, impulse control as actively... T- choosing to be able to defend yourself in the event that your that your police organization gets defunded. Yeah, so I can say sort of two things. One is that that forty percent number is also sort of dead on with what we found and really consistent with that with the NSSF, the National Shooting Sports Foundation, put out. So okay. that's a number that's popping up pretty common. It's about forty percent of folks are first time fire motors. So that's bigger than what you usually see in any other given year, right? So that that we I think we can all agree on. Um I did ask some questions and I asked them in two different ways about why people were purchasing. And so in every survey we do, including things that predated the surge, we asked folks just in general, you know, hey, what are your primary reasons for purchasing a firearm? And and universally, and that's true in this case, folks say protection at or away from home, particularly at home, right? So I purchased to keep myself and my family safe in my home should something, you know, someone try to break in. Um, so always the most common reason. But this time, what we did a little differently that I think is more what you're getting at is we asked about things that were going on in the world. So things like um, COVID-19, the um, concerns about uh, uh, supply chains, concerns about societal breakdown and the need to sort of protect yourself in case, again, law enforcement doesn't have that. And, and what we found is that the folks who purchased during the the surge who purchased for the very first time, the thing they endorsed the most often was this vague sense that I purchased in response to to sort of COVID-19 and all the stress in the world. So not some specific physical threat, but they were, they were driven more by this, the world, something's going on in the world right now and I need to do something to provide some safety. Whereas the folks who'd already owned firearms and they just happened to buy more firearms this past year, not necessarily any different than any other year. It was really more the supply chain concerns in particular. So it's just inventories down. I got to buy now. Um, and then they endorse that, hey, I'm not sure the police have this um, at, at this moment for whatever reason. And so I'm going to make sure that I sort of further the degree to which I've got control over this. So I, I totally agree with you that the idea isn't that people are buying. When you say lack of impulse, impulse control, I think a lot of times we think that means something in different means. It just means in this case, look, when I get stressed, I, I tend to make decisions differently than I do when I'm not distressed. And that's true for everybody, but it's particularly true for some folks. And if you're feeling threatened, the thing you might do is make a different purchasing decision than the other would. And I'm not putting a value label on whether or not they should purchase a firearm. It's well, simply Michael, they, pe- they, made, they made a decision. People yeah. also, you know, stocked up on toilet paper because they were freaking out. <laughs> oh, yeah, for and, sure. So and, you I, know, it would be great if we asked that, you know? Yeah. And, and, and out of out of uh, your research of the 3,500 adults, do you know how many were first-time gun buyers? 
So in this survey, unfortunately, we don't. We did a follow-up survey this next year, okay. um, and now I do know that. Okay, okay. Um, so for that, I can't speak to that here, and I wish I could. No, we, we could replicate these findings, but sadly, I just don't know. No, we can, we can, we can come back to that. But I mean, uh, the whole world is vibrating with this uh, influx of, of of tension and uncertainty yeah. and all this. So um, from your findings, though. How do you feel about people protecting them? Or do you feel like you're in more danger because of the people that, you know, you claim, you know, don't have control over their over their emotions? Yeah, well, again, I don't know that I say I claim that they don't have control over their emotions. But um, what I feel is that when folks who have a harder time making the same decisions they do when they're calm and they're upset, when those folks have a firearm at home, if they are also folks because that that type of tendencies also tends to be an increased risk for having had thoughts of suicide and things like that. My concern is that they aren't safe unless they are getting a good amount of information about how to store their firearms safely, about where they can safely and legally and voluntarily store away from home if they're having a hard time. That's my concern. Okay. So my concern isn't about guns are bad and, and this is bad. My concern is a lot of folks I'm concerned are vibrating, like you said, for the mental uh, health, for the on the mental health uh, right. spectrum. Yeah. Yes, on the it, it, and, and they're having a hard time, and they're not telling anyone about but, it. But look and what the news agencies are now, pumping. They don't know how to be safe with it. But look what our news agencies are pumping into us. I mean, every single day, you know, and, and just the the violence, the riots, the I mean, you know, we had uh, Mark McCloskey here. You know, he had two hundred people walk by his house, and they weren't walking the dog. They were they were chanting, they were saying stuff to him, they were freaking him out. And uh, and he he stood out there with his uh, his AR and you know like stand ground get off my grass and <laughs> I, I know that the, I know that nobody stepped onto his property per you know proper but I mean I, I don't know anybody that would have acted much different if they if they were threatening your home coming in your home so so that is a guy that was in he had self control in my opinion. Um, and I don't know, I, but it's it's interesting that you are digging into this to find out somebody with a short fuse. Probably, you know, I, I know I know several people that just boom, their their fuse is done. They you know they get mad about road rage, whatever. It can happen so quickly. Should they own, own a firearm or not? I don't know, but I, I think most gun owners that I know are responsible. They are doing the training. They are you know cleaning their weapons. So uh, interesting information though you, that you've got. Yeah. Michael Anestis, uh, thank you for your time this morning. Yeah, thanks for having me on, guys. Uh, absolutely. Again, that study out of out of uh, Rutgers, uh, good conversation there. Yeah, and, um, and, and and we really want to invite him back, I think, uh, when he gets uh, more studies uh, concerning Second Amendment, if you don't mind, Michael. Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah, I'd love to do that. And, and uh, you know, uh, here's a question I'd like to ask, uh, not just to Michael, but just in general, if you're going to study things like this. For the people that feel that they need to go down to their local town square and exercise their First Amendment right? Sure. Should we study whether or not they're less likely to have impulse control or weak emotions? I mean, no, we don't ask those questions about the First Amendment, but we're also always asking those questions about our Second Amendment rights. Yeah. That that's yeah that that you know there, there are issues there. there you know, there's a, there's another study, mm-hmm. and maybe we email him and, and ask him to do this. But maybe yeah. there's a survey of violent offenders with firearms that are incarcerated, uh, whether they're waiting for a trial or whether they're you know sentenced and and you know doing their time. I guarantee you, most of them. Well, I, I can't guarantee anything. I, I would <laughs> think that most of them would think. The reason that they had a gun and they were doing what they were doing with that gun was for survival. So how different is that for a law-abiding gun owner right. 
about survival yeah. when you're seeing what you're seeing on TV. I uh, so. could, uh, could not uh, agree more. Okay. Coming up on Second Amendment Radio in the Great Outdoors, uh, Mark. M-A-R-K. M-A-R-K. <laughs> Great uh, deer hunter, apparently. Uh, we're going to find out his, uh, his experience. He got a nice one this past weekend. We'll talk to him next. Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did. The dirty point buck. Dirty point buck. Dirty point buck. Dirty point buck. Did you see the dirty pointer? 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 As we jumped into the truck, then I'm going to get It is Second Amendment Radio in the Great Outdoors. This segment brought to you by Razorback Armory. Second Amendment supporters, gun enthusiasts. There's big deals going on at Razorback for the holiday shopping. They're going to have a start on Wednesday. They'll be, of course, closed on Thanksgiving, but back open with Black Friday specials and all weekend long. To find out about those deals on ammo and weapons, and all the free goodies they're going to be giving out, go to RazorbackArmory.com. They're right there in De Pere. Razorback Armory is your gun concierge. That is a Black Friday sale I can embrace. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm just can. telling you. <laughs> Tell I Santa did. Claus that, buddy. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, glad to, glad you're back. You know, I, like a lot of you uh, listening, I spent quite a bit of time in a tree stand last weekend. Can yeah, you say that? Yeah, yeah. And I have... Unlike our guest, nothing to show for it. Mark Reardon is uh, joining us right now, of course, uh, host of the Mark Reardon Show, uh, 326 here on the radio station, Monday through Friday. Mark, how are you? I'm good. How are you guys? I, I'm doing all right. I'm, no, je- I'm Mark a little is, Mark is jealous of I'm you. I'm bitter. I'm bitter. <laughs> I've decided that Mark spelled with a C is actually an old Indian word for bad hunter, because I didn't even see a deer. No way. You didn't even see anything? Nothing. Yeah, that gets frustrating. I mean, look, I, I've done this for several decades now, and I saw something come up on Facebook Memories last weekend after I did get a deer that said it was like from maybe 15 years ago, and I wrote something about how I was skunked for only the second time in all these years. I, I've been skunked, but it, it's been a while, but that gets frustrating when you're not even seeing activity. I yeah, get it. It's uh, it's sad that uh, Mark Cox and I have something in common, because I'm married to a vegetarian, so I don't hunt, out of respect <laughs> for her, but uh, we, we both got the same amount of deer last weekend. <laughs> yeah, but you didn't try. Thanks, Bo. Thanks. Rub it in, please. But the cool temperatures are back, but uh, let's talk about you, Mr. Reardon. Well, that's the, my favorite topic, so absolutely. <laughs> So where were you hunting, Mark? Well, I started, uh, you know, I started hunting many, many years ago. I think it was the early 1990s. There was a guy in Columbia that I became very close friends with, my uh, hunting and fishing mentor, Kevin Yeager, and he very generously grandfathered me into a deer camp in Howard County, Missouri, which is near Fayette and Harrisburg. 
that um, he and some other friends have been hunting on for a while. And I was like the last person in that wasn't a coworker, a family member, actually. So I've gone there. Even when I lived in Wisconsin for 10 years, I hunted in Wisconsin, too. But Missouri steer season was, you know, always earlier. So that's where I go. It's sort of north of Columbia. We we have about 300 acres and I don't know, about 10, 10 to 12 hunters on all that land. We have uh, the kids go out. You know, my daughter didn't go out this time, but the kids go out in some of the stands. We do have some that would be described as deer condos, just so you know. They're very <laughs> yeah, I'll bet. Yeah, yeah. Rich people problems. <laughs> no indoor plumbing, but, you know, they're pretty nice stands. And those really are, are for the kids. But, wow, we had a, a really amazing weekend. Now, we, we have a policy that was implemented about four or five years ago that seems to have worked. So we used to, and, you know, in some parts of the state you can get these bonus tags. We could shoot many, many deer does and bucks you know you get your one buck with your tag but kevin implemented a policy of no does years ago i mean if someone comes on for a youth hunt or if there's a kid then that that's certainly something that we'll do but for the most part we don't kill does for a couple of reasons one people were shooting button bucks and you know that that's not good accidentally the young ones and then the, the does have more babies so this seemingly has worked out well we had a really really good group of bucks last weekend including mine now, do you use, uh, like, the DeerCast technology? Uh, Tim Chelsvik is a guest on our show often. Uh, it's the technology that, like, maps out the weather and sightings and things like that? Oh, dear Lord, no. I, I go into my deer stand on Saturday morning at about 5.30. I sit there, I wait for the sun to come up, and then I got deer all around me. I mean, I have a great spot. I got to tell you, I, I saw so much activity last year. I don't think I've ever seen so much activity. We hit the ruts so perfectly well. But we, we really leave the property very quiet for the weeks leading up to deer camp. We know that there's deer everywhere. We kind of know the, the trails a bit. You know, the stands are very properly placed. So there's not a whole lot of technology outside of cell phones in the stand when we hear a shot to say, hey, was that you? That's pretty much that's pretty much the technology <laughs> that we use. I can't wait to have our friend Tim on again because I'm going to ask him if, if somebody has signed up for that service named John Deere. I think the deer on our property <laughs> get the deer cast, and they know the days to kind of lay low. <laughs> Honestly, because I, it was bright green when I was out there Saturday, and I didn't see a deer. So you know what do you, what do you do? You you can't you can't figure that out. So how big was your deer, Mark? Well, you know here here's the the story of uh, my hunting career is that I I don't end up being very patient even when I tell myself I'm going to be patient. Now look, <laughs> I I would prefer I would shoot a doe for the meat. I don't have a problem, but you know my friend has the policy, so we try to wait and not you know shoot small bucks and and I'm not looking for a wall hanger. I really do want the meat, but I had <laughs> I had a buck that was crawling through the woods. I started seeing activity last weekend, uh, about seven, three, about eight o'clock. This buck comes around. I had him. I didn't even pick up my gun. I, I swear. I just looked in the binoculars. And I'm like, well, that's, that's okay. But you know what? I think I'm going to wait. Well, he kind of wandered around and there had been a doe that had come through and he was definitely on the, um, on the trail for the doe and then sort of walked right by me. And, you know, it was an obligation at that point. So not a monster <laughs> buck, but it was uh, technically, I guess, 11 points. He had a, a weird brow tine and, you know, not the best genetics. It was an older deer, not, not the best, you know, buck of the weekend. But again, I, I've got several on the wall that are kind of hidden back here in my unfinished part of the basement so nobody can see him anyway and i don't really need i don't my wife that's that's my wife i'm looking for you know i'd like to have like a cabin at some point where i can put those yeah. it doesn't really go with the decor of the house if you will you know so but it was successful and and i i was very happy about it and we we had a great deer camp in 2021 i've got one of those a wife that doesn't want my fish or my deer hanging on the wall mm -hmm. <laughs> 
Yeah, you know, I know. She, I she gets a she shed. You need a he shed. I know. I do. Absolutely. <laughs> Becky doesn't say you can't have them up, but I mean, I've joked about putting it in the master bedroom, and you know that's that's simply not going to happen. But you know, if there's if there's decor where it fits, um, yeah. and then then it's proper. So I'll get there. I'll get there sometime. Good for you, Rude. I, I'm I'm happy for you, man. I saw a ten pointer in my neighborhood driving to my deer stand. <laughs> uh. Well, you know, I, I will say, and I'm not saying this happened with you, Mark, but for those people who hunt, they know these deer are. So so good at camouflaging themselves and being so quiet. You know, you hear the squirrels and you think it's a, a deer and it's a squirrel. And then when you don't think it's a deer, it, it's a deer. I yeah. can't tell you how many times yeah. over the course of my hunting career, the one, you know, these things, these things haunt you. They really do. I'll, I'll tell you two stories. One about maybe 15 years ago, maybe more than that. I was in a deer stand, a uh, different stand than I was in recently, like last weekend. And it was a rainy morning. I had mud on my boots and I had a buck coming right toward me and I was ready. I was kind of waiting for him. It was a big buck and a piece of mud fell off my boot, hit the ground. The buck heard it and, and kind of, you know, saw me at that point and he was gone. But the, the embarrassing story was from, I think it was two years ago, maybe two or three years ago. I was in this stand that, that I was in last weekend, and from behind me, I could see a buck, and it was coming, and it was a good buck, and it was right coming right under my stand, right? So I felt no obligation to turn around. I'm like, this, this buck is going to give me just a perfect shot. I mean, it would have been perfect if I had a bow. It was that close. Walks right underneath the stand, is about, I wish I was making this up, guys, about 10 yards in front of me, wow. and I missed the shot. Oh! I had <laughs> Now I I've played this through my mind I don't know how many times I I you know I, I angled the gun down from where I had a rest on the stand and I, I guess just because of the close single I really don't know I even took calls on this years ago or people trying to you know console me and tell me that it's happened to them but it was frustrating and I'll never forget that one I will tell you that so and I'll I'll be honest last last week I missed I flat out missed my first shot. But you know, uh, they don't always move, and this deer did not. It kind of stood there for a for a second uh, shot, and that was very kind of him. So, was it? Did you need Kevin Costner from JFK to do the <laughs> breakdown of how you missed that shot uh, three years ago? Uh, uh, well, yeah, basically. I mean, it's it's just. I, I'm honestly, I probably shouldn't have even put the gun on the rest and just sort of point it. It would have yeah. been, you know, I, I don't know what happened. What? It's it's it will never ever make sense to me. What do you hunt with, Mark? I, I hunt with a thirty out six. Okay. Actually, that I won. I have a couple of thirty out six. Um, I used to have a three hundred Win Mag years ago that I sold. I didn't feel like I. It's way too much gun for the tree stand in Missouri. But I went out west about twenty years ago. It's twenty years ago next year to hunt mule deer and elk in Durango, Colorado. And the gun that I have right now, that's a real nice gun. I won at an NRA banquet about oh, ten nice. years ago. Yeah. Uh, you, you mentioned that you kind of got uh, grandfathered into this group of where you hunt and have been hunting for many years. Did you grow up in a hunting family, or did you have to learn it as an adult? Because I, I get a lot of questions from people saying, hey, you know, I've, I've never hunted. My dad didn't hunt. My granddad didn't hunt. How do I learn how to hunt? So did you enter as a young boy hunter, or did you enter into yeah. the field as a man? Well, it's a great. It's a great question, and this is uh, where I'll talk about my, my friend Kevin, because in the 80s, I was doing radio, morning radio in Columbia, Missouri, after I graduated and I, um, he, he was someone that I got to know and we were fishing buddies. So he'd call me maybe 10, 30, 11 in the morning and say, Hey, can you get out on the ponds? And I said, I think I can. And I'd go up to Howard County and we'd sit. Ironically, there was a few ponds that we would 
I guess the word would be trespass on. <laughs> and, and we would sneak over, and there was this guy named JB that had the property next to where Kevin's mom and dad was. And he, um, he'd hear the tractor and he's like, Oh, we got to go. We got to go. So that's the property that he bought. That guy died and Kevin bought that property. So it's all out there. But anyway, we were fishing and then, Honestly, I was on a talk show, my first talk show, talking about gun issues. And he said, well, why don't you come out and shoot? He invited me and my liberal partner, Simon Rose, who's still on the radio in Columbia, to shoot guns. I never shot a gun. So I, I grew up in the suburbs of Chicago before I moved here when I was 14 to Baldwin and never had experience with, um, with guns. But I love the outdoors and I love fishing. And Kevin, you know, had me come out, shoot a I don't even know what it was, something that didn't have a lot of kick, and I got used to it. And he said, all right, do you want to try? I said, yeah. Went out to a stand. Um, my first year probably would have been like 92, 93, and I liked it. And the next year I got a buck, so I really liked it, and I haven't missed it since. So, yeah, it took me a while, and it, it was a learning process. Most people who know me are surprised just because I'm not known. I mentioned this earlier. I'm not known to be the most patient person in the world, but when I'm fishing or when I'm in the woods – I love it. It's really something Absolutely. that, that nice. I've really enjoyed over the years. Well, yep. Mark Cox, you have a chance. Temperatures are down. The DeerCast app is on your phone. I'm going again this weekend. Well, I'm you went to duck hunting, too. I didn't, didn't go duck anything. hunting. <laughs> yeah. On the warmest day with no wind, and apparently the ducks don't move. So we saw it, <laughs> but we shot it a few. My, my son got one, but it wasn't a great day to duck hunt either. So. So, duck hunting is fun. You know, I, I, I've gotten away from the bird hunting a little bit only because of uh, time and, you know, now I have my, my daughter, who, by the way, my daughter did go to deer camp and she was just, she was on the production line labeling the packages, loins oh. and tenderloin when we came through. Because we, we, that's another thing we do at this deer camp. We butcher all the deer ourselves. Uh, there's not a whole lot of things that I can do. I don't have a lot of skill, but believe it or not, I can skin a deer. I need a little help to get started at the top of the legs, but we, you know, we take the back straps out and then I bring hind quarters and just have some sausage made. So Mark, if you do get skunked, uh, I will take care of you. Hey, hey, nice. hey, 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 how about the non-hunter? I'm, I'm putting it out there. I'll take donations any day. Um, All right. Thank you, Mark. Is there a tradition? Do you bite the heart, bite the liver right at the shot spot? Now, let me, let me leave you with the most important thing about deer hunt for me. Take right? it this is just for me, everybody. Everybody else might have a different uh, – there's no biting of the heart. There's none of that. But if I don't have a Gatorade bottle in me, with me in the deer stand, then I'm in big trouble. Uh -huh. Use your imagination yeah. on that. <laughs> I get it. I get it, sir. Hey, Mark Reardon, thank you, my friend. We appreciate you sharing your success story with us. Thank you guys for having me. I really appreciate it. It's always fun to talk hunting and fishing. Have a happy Thanksgiving, too, Mark. You, too. Yep, good stuff. Yeah, maybe, maybe that'll bring me luck. I mean, who knows, right? <laughs> maybe you don't use the deer cast. Maybe that's the trick. Maybe you, maybe you find yourself mysteriously on Grant's farm property. Might see something there. <laughs> oh, that's true. Who knows? Who knows? Hey, thanks. Uh, we're going to be back in just a minute with more Second Amendment radio in the great outdoors. I'm going to get that dirty point, Buck. The last thing I do, I'm going to get that dirty point, dirty point, Buck. There's a baseball theme. We're going to talk to Adam Wainwright coming up here in just a couple of minutes from the uh, St. Louis Cardinals, talking about his hunting success, among uh, his many other successes. Before I do that, I just want to remind you, 
On on my show here on 97.1 FM, I am spending the entire month supporting first responders, Bo, and uh, we're gonna we're, we're raising money for Responder Rescue, which Love is it. a great organization. And uh, we're they're doing a raffle through the Range St. Louis West. The Range has donated a Sig Sauer M400 Tread AR style rifle with a Sig Sauer green dot optic on it and a couple of magazines. It's worth about fourteen or fifteen hundred dollars. You can buy a raffle ticket for ten bucks. Our goal is to raise twenty thousand dollars for Responder Rescue. Wasn't there a lower goal first? Um, I thought I'd he only raise five or six. Goal. We've shattered it. I think I predicted this. So yes, I, you did. I'm still selling tickets. <laughs> on the twenty fourth, we're going to draw a winner. The day before Thanksgiving, live on my Facebook page. You don't have to be present to win. Go to nine seven one talk dot com slash first responders to find the link to buy raffle tickets. Please buy them. Thank you. And you do need to pass the background check. Let's oh, put that the out there. Range yeah, will handle take all care the paperwork. No, I know, I know. I'm just saying, hey, if you're yeah. a bad guy, don't be buying the raffle tickets. <laughs> anyway, uh, so uh, it's deer hunting season, and uh, there's a lot of things going on in the world right now. And it seems like uh, Adam Wainwright is playing whack-a-mole because he's been hunting successfully, unlike uh, MR. M-A-R-C, yes. which is the new term for the Indi- old Indian word for bad hunter. Yes, that's me. But you are going to try this weekend. I am. Um, and uh, he's also been serving food. Let's start with your deer hunting story. Adam Wainwright, welcome to Second Amendment Radio on the Great Outdoors, man. Thanks for having me on, guys. Appreciate it. Where were you? What happened? What'd you do? Is it an epic story? Are you going to mount the head? Uh, it's definitely going to get mounted. Definitely, definitely, definitely. Big, mature, seven and a half year old Illinois whitetail, just a just a real trophy, just a giant eight pointer, biggest eight pointer I've ever seen in person. Wow! Uh, I think we scored it one fifty six and four eight. Pretty big eight point. Is this uh, is um, this uh, something you've been watching? Uh, is this one you've been watching for years? So I was uh, invited up to my friend Jim Tillman's house uh, farm, and uh, he's got one of the best places in in the country, and. Uh, when you get an invite like that, you got to go. <laughs> yes, and you do. So, you do. You do. You just have to go. And and uh, this is how, how great this place is. I, I shut that deer and uh, got it in the truck and got it back. And he looked at it and he said, "Man, that is the perfect management buck." Wow. <laughs> you know. So that's how you know you just that's the Midwest for you though. You never know what's going to step out out in front of you. It could be a, a little three-year-old dink eight-pointer or it could be a 195 inch 10 you never know so yeah. that's what it's exciting especially during the rut you just never know well congratulations the next question is what did you get it with was it a curve or a fastball <laughs> <laughs> definitely a, ca- a fastball Those <laughs> matthew's bows are pretty special yeah he shot a bow with a bow yeah a matthew's bow it's not my company but thank you um so so can you describe uh, where you were how long you were out there because uh mark here uh was in the stand for four hours and uh then he did really well on his uh, poker app that he was playing yeah but no deer <laughs> <laughs> well that's hunting isn't it i mean if it, it'd just be called harvesting if it was if it was different um but you know i've hunted i've honestly i've hunted the last what at least two seasons i think three seasons now without a big mature Midwest buck. And so, you know, sometimes that's the way it goes. Sometimes you, you run into a few of them a year and sometimes you don't, when you're like me though, you have five kids. I'm what I'm usually hunting is, is those five kids. I'm usually hunting them all over the place. <laughs> so my, my time in the woods has been uh, sparing at best. So I was, I was very fortunate to be able to get one on the dirt. 
Yeah, I think that, that that's fantastic. Well, we're so th- we're so thrilled to hear it. I think I saw a picture of it online, and uh, it's it's impressive. I'm I'm still hopeful. I'm going to go out this weekend and give it one more shot. Literally. <laughs> well, you, you're definitely not going to get one if you don't go. <laughs> that's a that is a great point. And I'm definitely not going to get one because I'm married married to a vegetarian. But again, <laughs> taking donations of venison because I am a carnivore. Um, uh, you know, if we if you don't mind switching gears here, I had a headline here uh, that said you were uh, serving food. Uh, to the community at the Ahmad Arbery murder trial, could you uh, could you describe what's going on uh, with that? Yeah, we had uh, so our community is a, a very tight knit community. I grew up, born and raised here in South Georgia, born in Brunswick, Georgia, where uh, Ahmad was shot, and and uh, there was some words said in the courtroom the other day that um, that caused uh, Al Sharpton and a couple of other uh, leaders among the the black community to say, hey. Let, we need some more support down here. And 500, they said 500. The, 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 they were they invited 500. I think I think we had way more than that. So uh, it was just an opportunity for me to be the hands and feet of Jesus and get out there and serve um, people who are are coming in with great intentions, who are coming in here and um, protesting peacefully, or coming in here just to make sure that the support is known. But one way or another, uh, I wanted to know. I wanted everyone to know, and our community to know, and our community wanted everyone to know that we we were going to support and, and love anybody who came in here. So that they had some people in there frying shrimp and and boiling shrimp and frying fish and making uh, uh, some pulled pork barbecue, baked beans, coleslaw. We fed. I, I, if there was one person there that was 750 at least, it was two hours of nonstop. Uh, nonstop packed lines and uh, we fed them good and they had a good time and it was great to to meet everyone and talk to them well good for you i mean i think that's fantastic i'll have to tell you adam uh, five six seven years ago you when you had um a leg injury i remember this specifically we were at our church in the chesterfield valley the crossing uh where i know mike Matheny used to attend and my my son saw you there and held the door for you as you were leaving, and you thanked him, and that's been one of the highlights of his life. Can I just tell you that as a, Card- as a Cardinals fan? He, he still talks about seeing you at his church. Well, I, I did appreciate him opening that door because I was a little hobbled at that yeah. time. And you never know. I might not have got out of there without him. So, <laughs> so, so uh, as far as the feed goes, is this a one and done? Or are you going to be going back uh, to the community? And, and are you hearing conversations amongst, amongst the people outside the courthouse? Uh, are, do you see a conversation happening? Because I, I think the more we talk, the more we can heal and understand. That's right. And that's, there's lots of incredible conversations going on. Um, there's a lot of communication. There's a lot of bonding and, and spiritual healing going on. There's prayers left and right. Yesterday, it was just nonstop prayer. And, and that was what yesterday was all about, was, was getting together as, as humanity, white, black, um, Asian. I saw uh, Mexican people. I saw many, many different colors and shapes and sizes, and we all came together under one umbrella of the Lord and prayed together, and that was a fantastic time of growth for me spiritually, I know, and, uh, and for many other people, too. That, and that's what we're trying to do, right? We're trying to promote healing uh, for a community that was that was hurt, and that is hurt, and, and is confused, and so we're trying to get all on the same page, and I think it's going well. Yeah, congratulations. Adam Wainwright, our guest. You know, Adam, congratulations as well on a fantastic season. I mean, what, 17 wins this year? Is that right? Well, 17 wins in a row. Yeah. Well, I mean, the team, 17 wins in a row. I was talking about him personally. Oh, oh, oh. oh yeah. Oh. 
Yeah, both of those are true. Um, <laughs> both are true. Uh, it was a good season. We we uh, you know we really got it going um, towards the end. And I, I, I honestly I believe if we beat the Dodgers, which we should have. I mean, by all accounts, we we probably should have won that game. We had ten or eleven runners in scoring position, and their pitchers held the fort down really well. Um, and that's the way baseball goes sometimes. But if we get past them, I feel really good that we're going to go deep, deep into October and probably win the whole World Series. That's wow. the way the team was clicking, and that's what our expectations are, more than I've felt in a long time coming into this next year because of, of the way we ended, the way that that feeling was, was flowing through the clubhouse. Guys, a lot of guys felt for the first time like, Oh man, we're we got we're gonna win this. Like we're gonna really do it and believe it. And it's one thing to say it, and it's another thing to believe it. And I think guys were starting to believe it there at the end. That's, That's awesome. Excellent. Yeah, that is awesome. And are you looking to uh, working with Ollie as the new manager in the next year? He's great. Yeah, we've I've, I've uh, become great friends with Ollie, and uh, he has grown up in this game. Played, you know, up to the professional ball with the Cardinals, and then. And then uh, he's been the good thing about it, you know what he's been in like pretty much every role as a coach or as a manager through right. the minor leagues and, and through the big leagues. He knows every side of it. He knows, you know, what players are thinking because as a bench coach, you get a lot of guys coming to you. You're everyone's best friend because you're the guy that can make things happen and yeah. you can, you're the go between. Um, and and when you're the kind of the first base coach like he was for a while, then guys can feel like they can kind of come to you and vent without you know, that getting back to the manager. And, and and then, you know, when you become the manager, which he's done in the minor leagues also, when you become the manager, some of those things, people uh, may not have a, a great relationship with you or maybe they don't feel comfortable doing because you're the one making the lineup card out. But he has a lot of really great relationships already from being in there. The continuity is great, and I think he's going to do a fantastic job. Well, I tell you what, Adam Wainwright, it's been an honor talking to you. Congratulations uh, on your uh, your hunting success and your baseball success. We appreciate you, my friend. Thank you, thank you. I just got done playing a little music on the church stage here. I'm going to go back inside and see if I can't uh, wrangle some more songs up. All right, have a great Thanksgiving, buddy, and uh, keep spreading okay. that word. All right, see you guys. All right, Adam Wainwright, outstanding. Great, great edition of Second Amendment Radio and the Great Outdoors, that's, that's a full show, buddy. Well, happy Thanksgiving to you guys and to the listeners of Second Amendment Radio and the Great Outdoors. And while you're gathering with family, tell them about Second Amendment Radio and the Great Outdoors. Get more at 971talk.com. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcast. You'll be glad you did.